Robel Taylor. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, it's crazy sometimes in life, and I think especially when you have the benefit of hindsight. Uh-huh. I've, I've really enjoyed in my life when I see how certain people got introduced to me or introduced to my life, and then you look back and you're like, man, that was meant to happen. Right. Like, what an impact. I love and, that. And uh, you are at the tip top of that list. And just a quick story before we kind of dive in, because I, you know, I obviously am here to talk to you. But, right. Um, when I first started Ascent Digital, Mike French, big shout out to, to Mike. Um, I think I did a post where like, I was looking for a graphic designer or somebody to help me design ads or something. It was like a very basic right. post. And Mike called me and he said, hey, I, I, you know, I've got this guy who I think you need to meet. I think it might be way bigger than, you know, just, uh, just somebody helping you design ads or whatever it might be. And he introduced me to Robel Taylor. Right. And I'll never forget first call. So I'm at my, I, at the time I was renting a room in an office with a couple of other business owners. I mean, it was, it was me and Brittany Ascent Digital had just begun. Right. And I remember video conferencing you in and not really knowing like, you know, where it's going to go or, or, uh, you know, how things are going to be. But at the time it was like, I'm going to have every conversation I can have because I've got to grow this business. Yeah. And uh, on the other side of the, you know, other side of the line is, is Robel Taylor, who everybody who's <laughs> listening or watching can see, uh, you know, we have pretty much the same build. And the same, <laughs> yeah, um, but, up. you know, it's like, man, who's this guy in Dallas? You know, he's all, uh, you know, looks like, like Robel. <laughs> and on the other side of it is the kindest, most sincere, most authentic most vulnerable and just genuine human beings in the whole wide world. And I got to tell you that I'm sincerely so glad to know you. Um, And you've made a huge impact on my business and on my life and me and getting to learn from you in terms of building brands and even just kind of like your philosophy and and perspective on life has been profound. So before we dive in, I just wanted to thank Thank you you for that because it was it was huge, man. It's cool to look back and realize that, you know, now here we are. That means a lot to me. Thank you, Ben. And you've been awesome in my life, too. I, I consider you a, a close friend. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would want to hang out with you all the time if we didn't always live so far apart. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, seriously. Seriously. Speaking of, you just moved to Dallas, right? I did. I moved back to Dallas um, about two weeks ago and uh, and right back into it. Um, and you know, it's kind of the nature of my life right now. I got to go where the work is. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's what I'm doing and it's been great. Dallas is such a welcoming place. Probably some of the nicest people you'll ever know. Extremely diverse. Um, you just have all types of humans striving to do more. And that's extremely inspiring to be around. So, yeah. So it's been great. It's been great. Um, I've really enjoyed it, and I'm out there with my girlfriend, and we got a little place, and uh, my daughters are still in in Colorado Springs. Uh, one will be graduating from high school this year, and then at the end of the school year, the other one will be coming out to Dallas. Also. Oh, cool! Yeah, so I'm excited for that. Uh, my son helped me move out there. He got altitude sickness in Denver. It was terrible. Poor guy. He lives in L.A., right? Yeah, and he got out there. He didn't want me to do any work. So he didn't want me to do any work. So dad, no, I got this. I got, so he's running up and down the stairs and to him, it's a challenge, right? He's going and he's moving everything. And we get about six hours into it and he's like, oh, my, my legs feel a little sore. Now I'm like, well, dude, let me have, no, 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 no. And he keeps on. 
and then that night he's like, God, I feel a little nauseous. And I'm like, oh, is this guy getting sick? You know, that sucks. And next day he's totally nauseous, has a fever, his muscle soreness everywhere. And I'm like, what? Did this guy get the flu? Like, what has happened? And then I thought about it and I looked up altitude sickness and it was a rough three days. Well, especially exerting all that effort and, you know, day one. Move, yes. But. Well, that's what it was straight from LA and then eight hours of nonstop up and downstairs moving things. She are just all, pushed it. Are all of your kids creatives? I know your son is. So he's an actor, but he's also a designer and, uh, and he, you know, he builds websites and he, he, he does some great stuff and he's developing well. As an actor, he's amazing, and that's really his passion. Yeah, and uh, and he's in out in L.A. and he's pursuing that, and uh, which makes me really proud. It's a lot of courage to just say, "Hey, I'm an actor." Yeah, and then go and do it. So I really appreciate that about him. My daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, she is extremely creative, and we did some really creative things as she was growing up. But she's also a she's a brilliant student, and so she's she kind of dabbles back and forth between all business and, and being creative and bringing that together. And she's out in New York right now. Uh, Diamar is her name. And then Tatiana, who I guess we'd say is the middle daughter, uh, is extremely creative. She sews and designs clothing. She has her own little brand and, uh, I helped her with that. And, and she literally makes clothing. Like she made me a backpack. I gave her a pair of pants. I said, make me a backpack. Three days later, she gave me a backpack, and it was awesome. And uh, Teo is a little artist, 100%. She draws. She makes jewelry. She makes pottery. Um, she can't stay still. She's a tinker, always doing things. So she'll be watching TV and bending jewelry into place and making little rings and doing stuff. All creative, all great athletes. I'm really blessed. My kids are amazing, like like I'm, I'm truly blessed and they're all almost grown up. Yeah. So. It's so fun to see just through even social media. I can tell that you're a close, you know, yeah. loving family, especially with you and your daughters. And right. you know, when, when you were living in Denver, it's fun yeah. to see, you know, BMX biking or mm-hmm. paddle boarding or whatever it might yeah. be. Is it? And now I know that they're getting a little older, right? but I also know, you know, your life as a creative, I would imagine that there's some time when, uh, I'll call it income insecurity. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the next check going to come from? You know, I think that, you know, as a independent creative, my assumption would be that it's somewhat common for you to live in feast or famine mode. What's that been like as a father? So I seen a graphic once, and there's, it's a man. He has no shirt on, and he's bent over his family. And in his back is about 50 arrows. And they're all comfortable and safe. And that's what I've really tried to do, right? Like, me being a creative was not a choice. It's what I am. I wake up, and that's what I am. I can't turn it off. I can't say, oh, well, I designed for this company. That's my job. That's all I do. No, because when that time ends, my head's still going, and I'm creating other things. I'm doing other things. It's who I am. Um, So that being what God gave me and the strength and superpower that I have, it's what I have. And I also got that. And I came from a place where that's not valued as much. And, uh, you know, art is valued at a certain level. Um, but design is so, so marketing, you know, the things that I learned and wanted to do or not. And I couldn't leave New Mexico or Santa Fe early 
where that would have been really my best start uh, because I had a daughter there and I wanted to be with her. And I wasn't forced to do anything, but that's what I chose. I wanted to be there. And so I started my career as a designer in Santa Fe, and it was a slow start. You know, and it was 10 years before I could even make enough money to pay my bills as a designer. And uh, during that time, I was also a bouncer, and I'd teach boxing, and uh, I'd do anything that I needed to do to make ends meet. But I always kept working on building my career. And I did some great things. I designed shoes for some, you know, and, and we had 300 stores carrying my shoes, including Neiman Marcus. Still wasn't making enough money. Same time, I'm working at my grandmother's restaurant, and I'm working as a fitness tech at a city at a city gym there in Santa Fe. And so, uh, but I'm building little by little. And then I got a job that paid enough. And it was just enough. Just enough. So if anything went wrong, I'm hustling again. And if we wanted a little extra or we needed a car, I'm hustling again. So I've always, I've never really coasted. You know, my, my foot's on the gas yeah. all the time. And I think that me learning to do that kept them safe. But I am the same guy, whether I have $50 in my bank account or whether I have $20,000 in my bank account. So I don't know if my kids ever really got, they're like, oh, shit, we're broke. Right. <laughs> Do you think that's a good thing, like, protecting them from the struggle in that level? Like, I don't know. I mean, so part of it was that I wanted them to feel secure. That was important to me. Um, and that security has creates confidence. And that confidence makes them decide they're going to be an actor and go to L.A. and do it, right? But then uh, it also creates comfort. And comfort makes for hard times sometimes. So, so those things, I'm not sure. But my instincts were to keep them comfortable. And then I made them uncomfortable because my kids, since they were young, like I'll take the two girls. For Diamad, I threw her in, into jujitsu. And she had to do that. Then she was in CrossFit. And then she played volleyball. And she, So she knows what it's like to learn something. She knows what it's like to suck at something and get better at it. And she knows what it takes, right? Then my son, same thing. I, it, I swear, the minute he starts to get good at something, but I throw him in something else. He starts to get good at it, throw him at something else. He is not afraid to suck. He will walk into a room and start from scratch, and he's fine with it. And he will learn what he needs to to be good. Yeah. And, uh, and his ego doesn't get in the way of that. And it's because he's been put through that. And the girls, too. The girls, their first sport was wrestling. And literally, they would, I would be driving them to, to wrestling practice, and they would be crying on the way because they hated it so much. And then they'd have a blast once they were on the mat. But uh, they're not afraid of anything. Like, they'll go – Teo just jumped into volleyball her sophomore year of high school – she made JV. She's playing. Uh, she ran track and was uh, on varsity as a freshman and was finishing in top 10. Tatiana's the same way. She's, you know, they, they rode BMX. They, <clears throat> Teo was on the U.S. world team. My son was a national champion. Like, they'll just dive in. And they're not ever the best ones there when they show up. But they always manage to climb that. And, you know, they'll, they'll call their way to being exceptional. Love it. Yeah. Wrestling in particular, I think, is one of the coolest sports. So my oldest son, Nathan, just got through his first I know. wrestling season. Yeah. And uh, it was cool because um, 
so his first tournament, like he went to the practice and we, you know, we took it serious. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was practicing and, and going through the process and his first tournament, I think he got third place or, mm-hmm. or fourth, but they got, he got a medal and, uh, he was pumped up about it. Yeah. And it was pretty profound. It's, in, it's been an interesting thing to observe as a father. First of all, wrestling's in, in, interesting on a few levels because it's one-on-one. There are no excuses. Like the outcome is the outcome. And, you know, it's not like, oh, well, the receiver dropped the ball. Well, no, it's, it's just you. You're right. Also, I can't do anything about it. Nope. You know, I, I got to be on the edge. I can encourage him. I can try to give him confidence, tell him to listen to his coach or whatever. Yep. But at the end of the day, Time the outcome's him. him. So the second tournament, uh, he did not do well at all. He got pinned twice, maybe three times. I don't remember the outcome, but uh, he got dead last, no medals, whatever. Um, and it was such a powerful learning experience for him. And I decided as his dad to say that the takeaway is, is that it doesn't matter if we win. It doesn't matter if we lose. It matters if we tried our hardest. Right. And if we didn't, if we're bummed today, it's because we didn't try our hardest. And if we try our hardest, whether we win or lose, we'll be okay with the outcome because we will have known that we tried our hardest. Right. And it was cool because I had to kind of like, it was uncomfortable for me as his dad because I had to lean into a different lesson. Right. You know, like winning matters, of course, but it's like I got to coach him up that what matters is, is that he tries his hardest. And then throughout the rest of the season, he got, you know, he, he did well. He, mm-hmm. he ended up with a, a handful more medals and super proud of himself. And uh, But at the end of the day, he, he would always tell me that, you know, he, he tried his hardest, which was just, it's just cool for me. It's fun to hear that even your daughters were, yeah. you know, wrestling because there's just so many life lessons that are learned on that yeah. mat. So it's interesting because that, what you just said right there, people will say, well, oh, it's a nice thing to say. Oh, as long as you tried your hardest, right? It's not just a nice thing to say. That's real life because most of the time when we get to a serious accomplishment, when we arrive at a championship, we haven't won our way there. We've lost our way there. And that's real. So trying your hardest and failing over and over and over again will get you to your championship. It's for sure. Yep. All that matters is that you do your best and you will get there. It might be a hard road, but I promise you, the guy who's winning the whole way, it's not easy for him either. He's suffering too. All that matters is that you get there. And so when you tell a kid, hey, great job because you tried your hardest. A lot of people would say it's a generic term. It's a kind of a, you know, it's just to make the kid feel better. It's not. That's a lesson. Fail. Fail over and over again. I don't care, but you do your best because that day comes where they just made it just enough and now, bam, they're at that next level. Yeah. And I, I watch that. I watch that with, especially in BMX, because you go from, you go from novice to, um, oh. So you go from novice, and then after you're a novice, you are a intermediate. And then after in- intermediate, you're an expert. The three kids, Tatiana, Teo, and Cisco, they all made it to expert. Teo, it took about a year and a half to two years. Cisco did it in less than a year. Wow. That's winning 10 first place as a, as a, as a novice, and then winning, winning 20 as an intermediate first place to become an expert. That's 30 wins. He had 30 wins in one year to do that. Here's the crazy thing. If you look back at that season, it feels like he lost way more than he won. Because he was hard on himself? Because he did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read a, uh, an interesting thing. So I'm, I'm trying to very intentionally 
parent. Yeah. And I uh, read an interesting thing. So if you, if your kids do well on a test or, or whatever, any endeavor, um, and if you say you're so smart, it has right. negative long-term implications. They start to assume that they're going to get positive results and, mm-hmm. and these things like that. So you're not supposed to tell your kids, good job, you're so smart. You're supposed to say, great job, I know how hard you worked on that. Right. Good job, you worked hard. That, I saw how much effort you put in and things like that. Uh, over the long term, tremendously more uh, test, test. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I have to clap. I have to clap again. Uh, I think I might leave that original audio in the podcast, Robel, <laughs> okay. because that was a great conversation. Uh, YouTube video will we, have, we, we can also we'll have, start we from can here. have a, a director's edit where we have that <laughs> as an addition. If you're just tuning in, uh, Robel and I are about 30 minutes into a podcast and had a crazy, uh, thunderstorm outside power surge, lost all video. I think we have audio still, but I have no idea. Just in case, welcome to the Chasing Greatness podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll run my recorder on my phone. <laughs> just for, yeah. Um, uh, we were just talking about kids and hard work and praising them versus for their hard work yeah. rather than their smarts. Um, and fatherhood and really all of that stuff, which is actually kind of a, a perfect segue. Some of the, the things I'm, I'm hoping to talk to you about. So um, I've had a chance to, to read most of My Dyslexic Life, which is such an awesome book. And I think one of the coolest things I think about your book is, uh, that you didn't write it, that you told it. Yes. Uh, so first tell me about that, the process that of you telling your book. So it was, uh, the shutdown had just occurred for COVID and we were stuck in the house and I put the kids to bed. And I mean, I'm used to having monster days, just being busy, 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 back to back to back. Right. And so I get, I get home. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I put them to bed and uh, realize that nowhere to go, nothing to do. And I never really watched TV. And so my son had told me, Dad, you should start telling some stories. And he had shown me some different interviews and things. And I thought, well, that would be kind of cool. And then I had done a small podcast, and I have no idea why. Uh, But somebody wanted me to do one, and I did. And so he told me, you should start telling your story. And so now a few times I've been told I need to tell my story. And so I thought, all right, well, how do I do that? So I reached out and uh, figured out that there are some apps that I could get that if I tell the stories into the app, and then I can send it out, and it gets a Spotify profile, and that's how it works. And I thought, all right, great. So I set it all up on my phone, and I'm really excited for the next night. I put the kids to bed, and I sit down, and I tell a story. I thought as far back as I could. And I told a story called My First Memory. And, uh, and then I, I, I went ahead and, and posted it. And I did some stuff on my story on my Instagram, Instagram. And believe it or not, the next day people were like, that story was so awesome. Can't wait to hear the next one. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. So I waited a week. Next week I told another story. And I created a cadence, and every week I was doing a story. And everybody's locked up during, during COVID, and so they're looking forward to the story. And, uh, and people started to listen, and they started to respond, and it started to make a difference. And these stories that I was telling, you know, I just, I, I made some rules, so it had to be in order. I couldn't jump the timeline. And I couldn't tell anyone else's story. So there are other people in my story, but I don't tell their story. 
your I tell story. what I'm doing at that time. I don't say, oh, and my brother was doing this, 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 and he was playing basketball, and he was amazing, and then he went to this. No. We know he's playing basketball, but there's a whole other leg of stories that's all of his life that maybe one day he may want to share. So I didn't tell his story. I didn't tell my best friend's story. I didn't tell, you know, I told my parents' story from my point of view. It's my story. So I tried to follow those rules, and I just kept telling the story every week. I eventually had to move to Texas. As when I got to Texas, I kept telling the stories. Um, then I moved to Denver. I was in Denver. I kept telling the stories. And I got to the point where I finished by graduating from high school. That was my goal. And at that point, I decided that I would turn this into a book and that I would design it. And it would be a really a piece of art. That's what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to walk the line of dyslexia and try to communicate it in a way that people would understand the anxiety without not being able to enjoy the book. And so I put together a concept and I ran with it and I designed the book. And then it took months to get approved by Amazon, which was totally frustrating. And then one day I submit it and I'm almost expecting them to deny me again. And they didn't. And it's out. And uh, then I thought, wow, I don't know what's next, right? And so I had been building my personal brand. I've been doing some things to, to go ahead and promote the book. Because, of course, if I write a book, I want people to be able to read it. And uh, it kind of fell into place. And people have really, everyone, that, every single person that has purchased the book has sent me a picture of them with the book talking about how great it is and that they've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Or they've reposted it, right? And so... It really feels good because I'm saying, man, give me some real feedback on this, you know, and I know it's different. Is it different good? Is it different bad? Um, and it's just a part of a series. It's literally the first book. Uh, the other one's already written, and I'll probably be releasing that more towards the new year or right after the new year. Um, there'll probably be a few more after that, and it's a series where I really just want to hold in. I, I want to help people to become motivated, but I also want them to understand that motivation isn't enough. And understand kind of what we're talking about. Like you gotta, you gotta push through the hard times, and you gotta appreciate your work more than your wins. That's a big point. Appreciate your work more than your wins. And uh, and I, I just, I, I really want to get that message. I think that it's positive. I think that a lot of people need it, and it's important to me. And it's become a passion. Yeah. Well, I mean, to say that a lot of people need it is probably the understatement of the century. I think. That's one of the coolest things about your book and your story is that in a lot of ways it has nothing to do with dyslexia. Uh, you know, I think that my dyslexic life happens to be a component of it, the fact right. that you're dyslexic. But really what it is is a story about overcoming adversity. And that's the neatest thing. I think that people, generally speaking, people need to be more aware of the fact that life is hard for all of us. And just because this guy got it that way or this guy got it that way or this person did it that way they have their own version right. of adversity yours happens to be particularly adverse um and and particularly unique but in it's weird because you know you and i we're i consider you one of my best friends right and we couldn't ha have more different backgrounds right uh you know and, and i won't dive into mine today but uh you know, if, if you look at the origin stories, so to speak, right. they're very, very different. Yet somehow here we are, and I don't even know how old you are, but, you know, we're grown men 
30s, 40s, right. however old we are. Definitely 40s. <laughs> 60s, 70s. No, but, um, and one of the things I think why we've connected on such an intimate level, I think, is because through our life stories, through our journeys, we've arrived at the same conclusions uh, in terms of like philosophies and perspectives, similar ones, you know, like I, I think about, you know, when you talk about stoicism or masculinity right. or, you know, the responsibility of a father or, you know, even the way we, we relate to clients and we can kind of like hear, hear their vision and, and, right. you know, translate it. It's just neat. And I think that that's, that's been one of my favorite things about, you know, your story and your book is that it's something that everybody can relate to regardless, you know, you didn't have to grow up in Southern New Mexico right. to, to, you know, to relate to it. There's one in particular that I'm hoping you could humor me with okay. and, and share the story and, you know, in, in, in whatever fashion you feel suits, but, um, and, and I'll frame it up for a little bit because, so I've known you when you lived in Dallas, you moved back to right. Denver You've now since moved back to Dallas, right. which assuming we still have audio, people would know that. Right. If we don't, you know, who knows technical difficulties. But, um, well, and I, I'll, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable with you, Robel, that I relate to the story in a huge way in terms of the responsibility of brotherhood. Right. Um, and when my, so I've got, I've got a relationship with my brother that's incredibly healthy. Uh, we've had a whole lot of ups and downs over the years, but at the end of the day, we're brothers and there's no bond stronger than right. the brotherhood. When my son, when my second son was born, I remember being an emotional train wreck. My mom thinks it's because of the impact of brotherhood right. and that now I have two sons that are brothers and, and things like that. Okay. There's a whole lot of depth to unpack there, but um, yours is particularly interesting. And there's a, a chapter in the book called Children Raising children. Right, right. And I'd love to, uh, you know, if you don't mind humoring me, I'd love to hear that story again. Okay. Okay. Um, so children, right, let's take a look at, so I want to make sure that I'm telling the right story here. Playing foot, your brother playing football. Yeah. Babies, babies raising, raising babies. babies. There okay. it is. That's why I was like, all right, let's make sure here. So babies raising babies. Uh, and this is it, man, right here. This is me and my brother. And uh, this was him playing football. And uh, I'll tell you that uh, he's incredible. And I'll also tell you this. Any difficulty that you'll read in my story and say, dang, you had it really hard, my brother had it worse because he actually stayed with my mom longer than I did. So anything that I, I went through um, – in those difficulties are definitely multiplied, which, which is, is hard. And it was hard for me, you know? And as we were growing up, um, I would go back and forth from my grandmother's house to my parents and my mom would want to see me. And so I'd go over there and then the weekend would be over and I got to go to school. So I'd be back this whole time. My brother's staying there. I would go back and forth and I would always be worried about my brother as I'd leave. And so it came to a point where, he was abandoned in angel fire in a cabin in the middle of the winter and was able to hike to another cabin and get on the phone. And he called my grandfather and my grandfather went and found him. Now at this point I was probably 13 or 14 and he's five years younger than me. So we're talking about a baby yeah. that went through this. 
And, uh, and that's probably not the worst thing he went through, but it was, it was rough. And so my grandfather went out there, and my grandfather picked him up and brought him home and said, that's it. He's staying here from now on. No more. No more back and forth. Nothing. This is, this is his home. I remember I was really relieved, and all of a sudden I had my buddy. You know, We had our room together, and we had bunk beds, and we would, we would play fight, and we'd hang out, and we'd fight for real, and, we'd, and we just we had our bond. And uh, as we were growing up, my grandmother was raising us. She'd make sure that we'd go and do our things. So as I get into, get a little older, I started playing football, and I'm having a great time playing football. And my dad made it to one of my games, which was amazing. Um, he had never gone to any of my basketball games, any of those things. My brother wasn't playing sports yet. I went into middle school. I was playing football. My brother started playing football, and that's the picture that you saw, actually. He's playing for the Bears and he was an awesome little athlete. Like, he would get that ball, and whatever pain, anger, fear that had come into his life, he would turn it into a superpower on the field and as a baby. And I'd go watch him, and it was something special. And I remember that. I remember being a kid, looking at my baby brother and being like, dang, dude, he's sick. He's got it. He is sick. And, uh, and so this time goes by, and I get into high school. And uh, it's my freshman year in high school. And uh, my grandmother would drop us off in the morning. We'd go to school all day. And then I'd hike up to this parking lot that she could get out of easily. Take, a, take me over. We'd pick up my brother. She'd take him to his practice. Whatever would need to happen. It was early in the, my freshman year. And uh, one day, no one shows up. No one shows up. And so I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and everybody's left and I didn't have a cell phone, nothing like that, you know. So I decided, well, maybe she went to get my brother first or something, you know. So I walk over to, and I also wanted to make sure he was okay. So I start walking over to his school, and as I'm walking over. How far, how far apart? Uh, I'd say like mile. Okay. Not far. Uh, far enough. Yeah, but I mean, I'm in high school. To me, it's not a big deal. And, and so I'm walking over, and I grew up in this area because I had gone to the same elementary too. So uh, it was our hood. <laughs> And, and it was a nice place, a nice area. And so I'm walking over and I see a guy that actually used to be a big bully of ours when we were kids. His name's Mario. And now uh, he's actually my cousin's baby daddy. <laughs> and uh, they have a daughter named Emma. And we're family. But I still talk trash to him like, Mario, you know you're a bully. And he's great. He's amazing. He actually is a black belt, black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor in New Mexico. And that's Miola now. But anyways, he sees me walking. He's like, hey, man, what's up? And I, I tell him. And uh, he just took this, this incredible place of power and was so kind. And said, come on, man. Took me to his house so I could use his phone. So we get there. He's offering me water. Just being a great guy, right? And it's funny because things weren't always great. We yeah. always knew each other. But, they, but this day, he made sure to be cool. And I don't know if it was intuitive or what. Yeah, he knew it. He knew, he knew something was different, right? And so uh, I get on the phone. I call my grandmother's restaurant. She had a restaurant at the time. One of her waitresses answered the phone and said, oh, we've been trying to get a hold of you. Your grandmother had a heart attack. Your grandfather picked her up there. They're, they're at the hospital in Albuquerque. You need to figure, figure it out, right? So I'm like, all right. Now there's no one. To, but my mom... And my dad, my dad wasn't alive anymore. My mom was who knows where. My uncle I didn't know how to get a hold of. And so we had the people that worked at the restaurant, but they work at the restaurant. They're not going to come take care of the kids. And maybe they would have, but in my head they weren't. Yeah. 
And so uh, I walk from there to my brother's school and I pick him up and uh, I say, all right, we got to figure some things out. So he had a friend named TJ, TJ Reeland, uh, whose brother is DJ Otto. And DJ Otto's wife is Dana Cortez, who happens to be a big morning personality. Just won a great award. They're amazing. Straight out of New Mexico, they've done great things. Well, this family took my brother and they were watching him. I got a hold of my friend Harley and was able to stay at his house. So now I'd go to school in the morning. This lasted for about a week. I'd go to school in the morning. After school, I'd go to my brother. I'd make sure he got to TJ's and he was good. And then I'd get to my friend Harley's and we took care of ourselves. Um, and that was what we did. And uh, I finally, I had no money. So I finally got a ride to the restaurant because I figured I could get some money from the one of the waitresses from the register or something like that. And when I get there, my grandmother's there. It's been about a week and she's there. And she's hurting, you know, she's been through a lot. My grandfather's there and my mom is there and my uncle is there. And they say, where have you been? My mom, where have you been? And I'm like, I called the restaurant every day. What do you mean, where have I been? We've been looking for you. And they, they hadn't been looking for us, but she acted like she had. And my grandmother knew what was going on. So my grandmother, with her chest that had just been stapled back together, didn't say a word to anyone else, stood up and said, come on, let's go, and walked out of her restaurant. I followed her out. She got in her van and drove. And uh, I'm sure it was excruciating. To Santa Fe Mazda Volvo and bought me a little yellow Jimmy. And... uh, it was a stick. I didn't know how to drive stick. And she said, this is your car. From now on, you pick your brother up. No, you get your brother to school. You pick him up. You get him to practice. And you get him home. That's your job. And that was it. And uh, I, wasn't, I didn't really play school sports anymore after that. I couldn't. Uh, my grandfather, he was awesome. He noticed that I wasn't able to do that. So he put me into karate. And did some kickboxing. Later on, did boxing. Later on, Jiu-jitsu and all the things that I've grown to love kind of spawned from that. Um, but it was tough, man. It was, it was, it was a, an interesting time. And so from that point on until I graduated from high school, it was always my job to make sure my brother got to school, make sure he got picked up, make sure he got to his practices, did all those things, which I didn't, I never, I loved it. Like hanging out with my brother was awesome. And I even got to the point where when we were up to no good, he was also hanging out, which was probably not the best thing. And, uh, but we were together and made some cool memories, you know? So, so that was, that was that. And that was us kind of raising each other in a way. And not that we didn't have the support of my grandmother, right? I mean, she had, she provided a home and everything else, but she was older. She had a business to run and she had an entire family to take care of because she was raising me and my brother. She was helping raise my cousins because my uncle really didn't cut it. He acted like he did, but in all reality, my grandmother was handling that. And my mom was a terrible alcoholic, so she was taking care of her too. And my mom still had my sister, who was another another uh, daughter of my mom's, right? And so my grandmother would have to help with that, and that was back and forth, except my sister never wanted to come really to my grandmother. So it was a lot on her. So the fact that I was able to take some of that off help with my brother and it just it's just the way it was it's the way things went you know and uh did you i learned a lot so you know obviously that's a ton for a high school kid 
to be responsible yeah. for. Um, you know, especially cause like there's so many other things you'd rather be doing, you know, like even, even physically, like your frontal lobe hadn't been fully developed yet. You even literally physically couldn't comprehend, you know, the long-term consequences of, of the responsibility that, that you right. were placed with. I'm curious, did it bring you and your brother closer or further apart? And how did that kind of relationship evolve? Like what was the, because I could see that going one way or the other. Like you either end up inseparable or like, <laughs> hey man, like I need some space. What, what, no, what was I the mean, immediate kind look, of- there was times when I was a kid that, I mean, that we got in straight up fights and he's a tough kid because I was five years older than him. You know, like there was a time where we would stop at the restaurant to get food, to get breakfast on the way to school. And so we leave super early. You get to the restaurant. My grandmother's doing some setup. She has coffee machines going. She has her own cup of coffee there. And uh, I walk by and my brother gets me with his shoulder just for fun, right? And so I get him with my shoulder a little harder. Well, he elevates quickly. He grabs a cup of coffee and throws it at me, a hot cup of coffee cup of coffee hits me and I, you know, now I'm stained with coffee before school. Plus it was hot. It burnt. Plus the cup hurt. So I run over and I elbow him in the back and then knee him in the chest and he falls flat on the ground hurt. And my grandmother, and this all happens in like, like that, like that quick. And my grandmother's just screaming at the top of her lungs because her boys are destroying her restaurant. And, uh, but I drop him off at school and I'm like, all right, bro, see you later. And it, you know, it was what it was. So I don't think that we've ever really held a grudge uh, for anything. And I don't think like we were actually really close. And, uh, and to this day are super close. Um, there was a time where he was really building what he's built and he was far away and I was in my career and with my kids and we didn't spend that much time together, but the minute we're together, it's all, yeah, it's, it's just there again. Like brothers. Yeah. So, so, uh, and as we've gotten older, I think we've gotten closer again, right? Like it's, it's actually really cool. So do you feel like the, cause you're, you know, your brother's obviously incredibly successful. You're yes. very successful in your own way. You know, you guys have, have gone down different paths. I know that. Do you feel like the adversity early on contributed to your guys' ability to stay resilient and to, to, to accomplish the things that you have? I mean, I think my inability to give up came from the fact that I have lost my way to every championship, right? And so, like, I never felt like I was the smartest person in the room. I never felt like I had a leg up on anyone. I never felt more confident than anyone. I had issues with confidence. What made the difference for me was the fact that I just kept trying. Yeah. And then once I gained a little bit of confidence, a lot changed, right? Um, my brother, on the other hand, has a ton of confidence. He's been a winner a lot of his life. Do you feel like, so I, I have a follow-up question on that. Okay. So there's a quote that I love that is that I've never met a strong person with an easy past. Mm. And it kind of relates to that idea that you have of losing your way to every championship. Right. And you even mentioned early on there this idea, I forget exactly how you worded it. When I listen back, I'll, I'll yeah. hit myself for not you know phrasing it perfectly. But... Um, Basically that you didn't have a, you, you couldn't quit cause you couldn't quit. Like right. Quitting wasn't an option. Right. You had to just keep going, right. which has sort of built this, this resiliency. Would you say when it comes to like how you look at life in the bigger picture that you, and maybe it comes from, cause you kind of talked about the differences between your brother winning more 
yeah. versus you losing more. Not right. necessarily better or worse, just different. Right. Does that change sort of like how where motivation comes from? Like, would you say that you operate with a chip on your shoulder? No. Like that you've, you've been there? Or, or what, what drives you? That's interesting because I have less of a chip on my shoulder. For he sure. has a bigger chip? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like I, 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 you know, but he's a more serious guy for sure. And, uh, and he's, he's a good guy and he'll do, but you will earn your spot in his circle. It's not an open door policy and, and there's trust issues. Right. And so, and, it, and I'm, I'm sure I know where a lot of that came from. Um, and the people that are in a circle are great people because of it. Because they've earned their way to that. And the ones who haven't have been shoot off with minimal damage. Yeah. Where with me, the people who haven't been great have created maximal damage. <laughs> maximum damage. And and I but I think that to I get, relate to that, man. Right, yeah. It's easy to let in, real hard to get you out. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> and, and and then I just don't like, oh well, it'll be okay. And no, they're still they're still stabbing me in the back. So uh I, I kind of wish I was more that way. I really do. But at the same time, a lot of my strength comes from the fact that I don't operate that way. I'm not afraid of those things. I'm just not. In my head, I'm an optimist. Things are going to work out great. We're going to do this. It's going to be awesome. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be okay. Where does that come from? So I, I need to get inside your brain a little okay. bit. Because... We talked, you've, you've even openly admitted that you've lost your way to the championship. Right. So why are you so... <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I, you know, I read the book, I, I know you as a friend, and I see a life filled with tremendous adversity and lots of, lot, you've overcome so much. Right. You, you inspire me. I want to know how through all of that, do you have an optimistic perspective? Because I know that it's all going to work out. And I, I know that. And I think, okay, so a lot of it is I have, I have really strong faith. I am not a big go to church guy. Um, I see a lot of hypocrisy in the church and, and it's because they're humans. Right. And so I get it. Like we're all human. So I'm not judging. I have no judgment. Um, but I, I'm not very motivated to go show up on a Sunday either. But my relationship with God is strong, and I rely on that. I lean on that a lot. When things are tough, I'm asking for help. And when things are great, I'm saying thank you. And I'm saying it because I want to make sure that there's an understanding that I have that I'm grateful. And I thank God for my kids being healthy. And I think I, I really, really have a strong tie to that faith. And, uh, and it's really been what's gotten me through a lot of the things that I've been through. So no matter what happens to me, I have faith that it's happening for a reason and it's going to be okay. No matter what it is. And I don't have anything to prove me otherwise. Like, and when I say like lost my way to every championship, for example, I was told that I was dyslexic in the third grade. The first thing they wanted to do was put me in class with people that had severe developmental issues, including, um, what is it? Well, all of them, just really severe developmental issues, much further than where they were incoherent, some couldn't speak, a lot of just really terrible behavioral issues, all of these things. 
um, I spoke two languages already at that point. I was doing music. I was traveling. I was, my grandmother said, this makes no sense. Why would he be in that class? And they said, well, we have no other option. So she didn't want to put me in that class. But that was a point where I heard these things, and I'm starting to wonder what's wrong with me. Mm. And then I go into class, and I still don't know how to write my own name. I'm drawing a picture of myself, and these kids are writing paragraphs. They're reading. They're reading out of little books. I can't read out of a book. My grandfather tells me I need to learn how to read, and I have no idea how. But I'm trying, but I can't. So I'm starting to feel like I'm dumb. And so then I find, you know, I go through my testing. I'm told I'm dyslexic. And they explain to me that that's not the case, that actually people with dyslexia are very intelligent. But I can't see how because everywhere where I'm supposed to be smart, I'm not. At least in the ways they I'm measure struggling, it. Yeah. Right? And I don't see what I do know how to do as valuable because nobody else sees it as valuable. Nobody saw my little drawing of myself as valuable. Nobody saw that as valuable. Nobody saw, they might have seen that the music I did was valuable or those kind of things in some circles. But that didn't matter in school. And at that point, that seemed like the priority. So from that point into middle school, where I think I kind of just got swept under the rug and passed on, to high school, where I've been told since I'm a freshman, there's no way I'm going to graduate. No way you're going to graduate. There's no way you're going to graduate. And then somehow I'm a sophomore. There's no way you're going to graduate. Somehow I'm a junior. There's no way. And then, boom, I graduated. And that's when I say I have lost my way to every championship. So it's almost like, you know, because I, I was asking, like, how in the world can you be an optimist? It's almost like because you look back and there's this stack of evidence that says, hey, Robel, no matter how much the odds are against you or however much people tell you that you can't do X, Y, or Z, you've done it. And so, like, of course you're an optimist. Like, right. Because the proof, you, you have proof. You, you have a stack of evidence right. that shows that you can do it. So I almost wonder, and, and this is just like a, a, a curiosity to pick your brain, do you feel like you've worked your way to optimism? Like that you've outworked the the negativity or the the you know the cards are stacked against you or whatever it might be but then you look back and you go no i i can do that i've done it before i've 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 overcome worse of course i can do this right do you feel like that's kind of contributed to the optimistic perspective i i i think so i think that i know i can out i can work my way out of a lot of things and uh i haven't found many things that i couldn't work my way out of or work my way to a solution, right? And I was actually telling my son this the other day, and I was telling him he's building a website. He's building a Shopify website, and he's having issues with the taxes. And uh, at first, he said, well, that's it. That's all I can do, Dad. It's, it's this or that. And I said, well, but the client's not going to accept that. It needs to calculate depending on the state, and especially the state they're in, because that's where it charges taxes. So you need to figure it out. He didn't get mad. He didn't get frustrated. Okay. Then he came back with a solution. It took him three days to figure it out. And I told him, I want to congratulate you. And he said, why? And I said, because you just became a professional. That's the difference between somebody who's dabbling to somebody who's a professional. Mm. The person who's dabbling, they quit. Eh, wasn't that big of a deal anyways. Or this is good enough. It really is. The professional will figure it out. That's what we're paid for. And when it comes to design, it comes to marketing, it comes to advertising, it comes to our place of business, the way we work, 
we have to be problem solvers all the time. Literally, it starts with a problem that we have to solve. And it's usually, how do we get more customers to our client? And so for me, I've learned a lot through experience, but I can't tell you I was the smartest guy in the room day one. No way. There were guys that sounded a lot better than me, but they might still be waiting tables. I just didn't stop working. Just didn't quit. Yeah. Well, and that's what's cool. It's fun to hear, you know, and we'll never be able to articulate all the complexities in in a podcast, but it's cool because I can see the parallels behind the stories that are in the book, the day-to-day even occurrences that that you're experiencing and reflecting on, and then this, like, perspective on life. And a lot of it is, like, you had no choice but to not quit. No, because it's all I know. Like, this was my path. That's it. I couldn't, I couldn't bail out and go decide to be an attorney instead. You know, which that would have been just as much work. But I have no strength in that. Imagine trying to read all those books. And it would, I would have, I, I, I mean, maybe I would have made it. Maybe I could have outworked my way there. But I don't, I don't know, right? But I, I feel like this is the strength that God gave me to do this thing. And I've used it to help people build their businesses, to make more money, to become more successful. I've used it to raise my family. But I really got to a point where I started to realize if I'm going to impact not just people's pocketbooks that are already doing well, by the way, most of them, but really affect people's lives, how am I going to do that? And I started realizing that telling my story and I didn't have this grand idea. I'm going to tell my story to help people. It was when people fed back to me how much they appreciated the stories and what it did for them. I was surprised like, wow, really? And that I did, you know, then I told another one and I told another one. And then one day I told my girlfriend, I don't even know if anyone's listening. And she said, don't stop. Someone's listening. And it made me realize it doesn't matter if there's a million people listening or one. You tell the story for that one because they may need it. And then isn't it wild how impactful a little bit of momentum can become? You know, oh, like yeah. a little bit of feedback. Hey, I've, that really spoke to me. I really appreciated that story or somebody is listening. And then also now, you know, this thing that you've been doing just based off of pure passion. Right. You know, who knows if you, people are listening or whatever. Also, and then, you know, now you have what it takes to like really take it to the next level. And I think that it's been cool to see that too, that like you've always been you Right. You've always told the same stories. You've always been the same version of yourself. But it's like now there's this other la- layer of, I guess, confidence is what I'll put on it. But it's also like momentum. Right. Like you've got some positive reassurance. You've, you've had some, you know, some good feedback. I've, I've seen the community that you've built through your social media right. following. And it's just cool to see how then you take that, you turn it, and you amplify it into more good, more meaning, and you right. know, a, a bigger impact on people. And I just think it's been... I don't know. I think it's, it's cool to see how it kind of can evolve and grow like that. Right. And the whole thing makes me feel like an imposter. And it's funny, but anytime you try to do something bigger than yourself, I think you might feel this way. Like recording like, a podcast? It, you may <laughs> feel that way, right? But like when I, even as I was designing the book, I'm like, who cares? Like really, who cares about my story? Like this is dumb. Why am I putting all this time in this? No one's going to care about this. No one's going to, it's not going to matter to anyone. 
but I have started it and I have a really bad problem not finishing what I start. So I started it, so like, well, you're going to finish it. And then all of a sudden it's published and it's out there. And then I think, no one's going to, no one's going to care about this. No one's going to like it. No one's going to want to buy the book. The book's too expensive. The book is way too expensive. Amazon won't let me sell it for less. No one's going to buy the book, right? People are buying the book. I'm like, wow, okay. And then people are enjoying the book. Nobody's complaining about the price. <laughs> so I'm putting obstacles in front of myself. And, uh, but again, it's just, you know, it's the fact that I think it's ingrained in me so much now that if I start something, I'm not going to quit until I get to where I need to be. And I don't care if it takes me 20 years because I've been through it. I've been through the 20 year process of building something and it goes by fast. Yeah. So, I'm, well, and that's what's so cool to see how these stories and, you know, the things that have, have made you who you are, it's fun to see them in action. Cause it's like, like I even right now, I pick up on this idea of like, I'll just keep going, like whatever. And it's cool because you can tell that that comes from a place of, well, I'm going to keep going. You know? like, <laughs> right. there's, there's, and it, so it's fun. I, like I'm, I'm, I'm just so fascinated and so loving watching that in real life. And that's why I think your stories matter in a really profound way. I, I spoke about it earlier. That right. I really do think everybody can relate you know, to it because really, it, it, you know, like I said, it's a story about overcoming adversity. Right. But for me, because I get to know you on a personal level as well, it's so cool to get the perspective of your past right. and these stories, and then I see it in you now. And I'm like, well, of course, <laughs> right. you know, there's this like, well, I'll just keep going attitude. And then you read these stories and it's like, well, yeah, because that was a necessity right. or, or a personality trait. You, you know, you could decide between the two for the last 30 years. Right. And, I, and that's, I think, the, the neatest, most fascinating thing for me because, you know, and, and there's some... There's compl some complexities there because I think that you're happy with who you are. I think that like right. you're proud of yourself and, and that, you know, by a lot of levels, you've accomplished what I would consider success. And then it's interesting because we kind of talked earlier on, and again, hopefully the audio's there, but about you raising your kids and things like that. And there's like this fine line behind you are who you are because of what you've been through. Right. So how do you make sure, and, I'm, and I want you to answer this one. How do you instill these traits that are so valuable and have contributed so much to your success to your kids without f the fucked up past? Right, that, you know, like, <laughs> like, like how, how can you give them a better life and still raise them to be strong? Right. Uh, it's a hard, it's a hard one, right? Um, so spoiled. I think is on a it's on a curve, right? And to some families, spoiled is here, and to some spo families, spoiled is here. And, to some, and it just depends where you came from, right? Like, oh, you don't have your own driver, you know? Oh, yeah, she has her own driver. She's spoiled. Well, it, some kids don't have a car, right? so but they have a nice bike. Oh, he has a nice bike. He's spoiled, He's spoiled right? Yeah. So I think that that, that I, I don't know if those kind of comforts are really that impactful when you can actively, and you talked about active parenting, actively teach some struggle. And so I think that if you put your kids, if you intentionally, I think you said intentional parenting actually, if you intentionally put your kids into situations where they will struggle, 
you're going to make them stronger. And I think dads need to do that. And I think that's a part of masculinity. And also, I think that dads need to do that with their daughters as well as their sons. And uh, I think that it'll establish a stronger sense of identity, a stronger sense of responsibility, a stronger sense of uh, confidence in them to know that they can suck at something and get better. And if you do that enough, they will eventually get there. And sometimes it won't be putting them sometimes. I seen you. You had your kids on a 15-mile walk. I think it was 15. Maybe it was more. They, but. they joined me on 15. On oh, they joined you on yeah. it. Okay. But so my grandfather would do this. He'd take us, he'd take us out to the mountains. No. He'd take us to the dump. There's hills by the dump. And uh, we loved it. And so we'd go and we'd dump all the trash. And then we'd go explore the trash and find shit to take back home. <laughs> and then he'd drive out a good three, four miles. No, no, no. I'm sorry. He'd stay parked there. And he'd say, all right, guys, I'm going to take a nap. I'll see you at the gate. And he would take a nap in the parking lot there, dirt parking lot. We would go into the hills and it was a race to get to the gate before he would take his nap and drive over to get us. And we'd be running up and down these hills. And it was gnarly, but we were having a blast. And we, it, you know, we wanted to get there before he got there. And uh, by the time he got there, we were drenched with sweat, the hot sun. And I don't know how many miles it was, but it was miles. And uh, we'd get there and sometimes he was already there and sometimes he wasn't. And then once he'd get there, he'd jump out of the truck and we'd go hiking. And so he was, he'd go and wear us out. And that was, you know, part of the thing. But he would challenge us like that. We'd walk to Santuario. That's something that everybody does on Good Friday in New Mexico. I did it every single year since I was a little boy and my legs would hurt so much he'd have to carry me to the point where I would, me and my friends ran from Santa Fe in high school, right? So another challenge, another thing. Uh, a way that he disciplined when I would come home at five in the morning instead of the night before and I was up to no good. I was always sober. I didn't drink as a kid. I didn't mess around with, with any drugs or anything. I didn't use any. Um... And so, but I would not, I'd go out with my friends and we'd be out all night and we'd be getting into fights and hooking up with girls or doing whatever. And I'd get home and he'd be waiting outside with a shovel or a hoe or a rake or whatever in his hand. And he had an acre of land. I didn't get to go to bed. He wouldn't say a word. He'd just hand it to me. I wouldn't say a word. We'd go back and we'd get to work. After about an hour into it, he'd start teaching me something, start talking about something. And we'd work until about lunch, and then my grandmother would have a great lunch, and I'd eat some great food. And then he'd say, all right, see you soon. See you later. And I'd go take a nap, and then I'd go out with my friends again. But I always knew if I stayed out, I'm not going home and going to bed. I'm going home and getting to work. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, that was the thing. And it's funny because I appreciate that now um, because there's times, you know, one time I was doing a show many times actually, in Florida, it's a four-day show. I'd get two hours of sleep every night up to the show. And the night of the show, no sleep at all. And then I'm, fl I'm in the airport again at, right after the show and I'm flying back. And I'm working. I've designed it. I'm building. I'm working with in multiple rooms. To, so it's not easy work. It was those kind of things that gave me the heart to be able to get through a week like that. 
But that's what it took to build me and my career because I didn't come from a place where people knew who I was. Like nobody in my family had connections to marketing companies. Nobody in my family had connections to a design job. So I had to, I had to offer everything to make it work. And I did. And because of that, I got great. And I was better than everyone else because nobody was willing to do that. And uh, it's because of those stories, because of those things. Yeah, I love that. I, I tell my wife often because, you know, we're, we're building from scratch yeah. too. And uh, I tell her that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing today what others won't mm-hmm. so that someday we can do what others can't. Right. And it's this whole idea of like, you know, just grinding and putting it in the work. And it's been cool to see similar philosophy to that. That's why I just, I love our conversation right. so much, but the other day and I'll, I'll, I'll tell it briefly, but, uh, the other day my boys and I killed a mule deer and I saw the pictures. We were just over a mile from the truck on public land with a open sight muzzle loader. Yeah. Like we had to earn the deer. Absolutely. And I shot it at like six forty at night and you know, sundowns at seven twenty or whatever. And so now here I am, I'm, I'm a mile, 1.1 miles from the truck. Sun's going down. I've got two young boys with me, five and three and a dead mule deer. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I'm four days post marathon. So I'm not like, you know, so you're not, you're not, you're not spring chicken I'm not right running now. either. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, all of a sudden it was like, oh gosh, this could get a little bit intense if I'm not a little bit careful. Right. And long story short, we, we, there was right. all sorts of lessons in between, but we, 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 butchered the deer we quartered it we got it all loaded onto my backpack so i have the entire deer on my backpack over 200 pounds Oof. plus all of our gear and a mile from the truck and my two sons and usually carter he's three and he's short very short uh like very very short we call him short legs but i have to help him walk a lot of times when we're in the woods because it's just difficult for him right. so i'll hold his hand or whatever but it was cool because and they usually take that like they know like okay right. bet dad's gonna help me like we're gonna rock and roll through it well, they knew, like, Dad can't help me. Right. Dad has to deal with this deer. We're going to all stick together like we've got it. But it was amazing for me to see my three-year-old, my three-year-old son, right. rise to the occasion and know that he can't hold, hold Dad's hand now. He has to hold his brother's hand because Dad has to walk. Like, we're struggling right. through. And it was a struggle for me. Like, I really struggled. I, I, my legs were killing me. And a while in, and it was so neat because they started giving me encouragement. Oh. And it was like maybe the most special, maybe one of the most special moments of my, you know, adult yeah. life that here I have these kids and they're capable of so much too. Yes. And that was cool because I've worried about that for so long of like, is it too easy for them? And I, right. I don't want them to be soft. Like I want them to have these traits of you know, resiliency and being able to overcome adversity and hard work and not quitting and whatever. And as I'm carrying out that deer for my three-year-old to be like, dad, we got this. Like we, we have to just keep going. We have right. to, you know, keep walking. And he didn't say it in as many words, but it was neat. And so I just think That's it's awesome. cool to see, you know, that you can arrive at those traits through different circumstances. Yours happened to have been fairly intense and fairly direct. Right. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, let's say But that, you know what? That might have been very intense for the boys. Oh, it was. Like, it's getting dark. It's scary. The dark is scary anyways. I can tell a whole scary story just around it being dark. Because right. it's scary. But you're outside. There's a dead animal. That's a new thing. They just saw that happen. So, you know, we've got a, knives on our belts. I yeah, mean, I mean, this is real. And dad is carrying it. 
So he can't just protect us. He's got to handle this. So we got to, that's a lot. And it's, but that's what's so cool about like, you know, cause I was asking how you make sure that your, your kids have that now. And I love your perspective that just cause it's not your version doesn't mean it's not intense. Right. Like spoiled is a, there's a curve to that. And right. I, I love that because I've never considered that, you know, like you're always like, Oh, kids these days have it. So it, it's, I, I love that perspective you just shared that it's intense for them. Right. Like the, for them, that is the real deal. This yeah. is their reality. Yeah. Even if they're living in suburbs in Denver or, you know, whatever. I, I'm so glad you shared that. Cause that's, uh, it gives some relief, right? Cause you're yeah. not like, so like, I'll tell you like really quick, this little story that's not, I don't think it's in the book, but I was at my friend Harley's house. His dad and his friends were all bikers, serious bikers, real bikers uh, that did real biker things. And we're over there and I would stay over there. I stay the night all the time. And they had a welding shop. So they have a welding truck. Welding truck's a flatbed. So a little girl that I can't remember her name, my friend Harley and I are all standing on top of the welding truck, having a great time. It's a big party happening, you know, bonfire-style party outside by the bike shop that's by their house. Across is a place called Cheeks that was a uh, strip club across the field. Strip club? A strip called club. Cheeks? Yeah. <laughs> and so... They could use a, some branding. Yeah. <laughs> they're not there anymore, but <laughs> they're there in Santa Fe. And, and uh, all of a sudden, from the Cheeks parking lot, I see a flash. I don't hear anything, but I hear something go bing on the truck. And I see another flash and I hear that one. Oh, wow. And I realize somebody is shooting at the party. They're shooting at us. And I'm standing here on top of this truck with my friend Harley and this girl. And I just let my legs sink and I just kind of melt all the way to the ground, like just fall. I didn't jump up. I just straight down. And Harley's right behind me. And this little girl's frozen, and it's boom, boom, boom. It's shot after shot after shot, and it's coming from multiple guns. And she's, she's frozen, and you can see where these bullets are hitting. And I remember I reached down, and I was able to grab her hand and just yank her off. And she fell, and it kind of came out of it, and we crawled into the shop. By the time we get in the shop, everybody's in there. His dad had hit the lights, and I remember I got behind a freezer, and I have my back against the freezer and I'm holding my legs in as close as I can because I don't want them out. And every shot, I'm doing a check on my body because I'm wondering if that one hit me. I know there's frozen meat because they were hunters in the freezer. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't think that any bullets can get through this frozen meat. The other crazy thing is, as I look to the field, I see Harley's friends, bikers, probably his dad too. And they are not armed, and they're running towards the people who are shooting. They are or are not armed? They are. They are armed now. You can see their rifles or whatever. And they're running towards the people that are shooting at the party with their guns shooting at them. So they're returning fire. That was incredible to me because I didn't want to move. And these men, but they're protecting their families, whatever it is, right? They're, they're, they're running towards this situation. Everything stops. No one was shot. Wow. No one was shot. Everyone's okay. There's bullet holes in the house. You know, police come the next day and check things out. Supposedly nobody knows who did it, where it came from, anything like that. That was insane to me. 
I can't think how that would help anyone's life in any situation ever, right? There's just no way. So there are hardships that are useless, I think. Mm. And then I think that there are teaching moments that are difficult. And as a father, if you can create a teaching moment that's difficult, that's going to be useful. Where hardship that's useless, like, okay, I learned how to keep my head, I guess. But for some reason, I've always been able to keep my head. And maybe that's why. But really, all I did was survive something that was terrifying. That's, that doesn't seem to me productive in any way. And like, these are the kind of things that were happening with the drug use and the violence and stuff of our parents. And it, it sucks. But it was, it, was, it was that, right? Where like, my grandfather took me hunting also. He shot a, an antelope. And then he taught me how to clean it right there on the spot. We took out the, uh, what's it called on the ankle? The Like a strap, a leather strap? Well, no, on the ankle there's a, there's something that if you don't. Oh, the gland? The gland, yeah. yeah we pulled out that gland and, uh, and packed it up and same thing, hiked to the truck. And that was all hard. And the whole day was hard. We were in the sun all day. Antelope suck to hunt because it's so hot out there and flat or it's freezing and flat, whatever you're dealing with. But uh, it was hard, but I learned that you don't leave until you get it done. And we brought it home and dealt with it. One time he brought an elk home, middle of the night. I must have been tiny because it looked like the size of an elephant to me. And it was huge. And it's dark outside and these men are exhausted, but they're still working. They're making sure that this meat stays well. They're handling it. And then like a month later, we have delicious jerky. And a year later, we still have delicious jerky. And so looking at those kind of things and men work like that and be productive. And yes, it's hard and it's difficult and maybe even scary, but you feel safe. That's the kind of lessons I feel people will grow from. Yeah. I love that perspective that, yeah, that, you know, well, you just nailed it. Like feeling safe and, and, you know, not all, hardships necessarily have a lesson behind them, but that you can, you know, have teachable moments. Right. That's so powerful. Right. I love that perspective. Yeah. So it, it takes some of the pressure off, but like, I, yeah, I think that, man, if you're thinking, as, as, as a father, if you're think, if you're even thinking about these things and you're putting them into motion and you're spending the time to get some dust on your boy's boots, they're going to be great. Yeah. And that's exactly what they need, right? And those are those connecting moments, those times. Because there'll be times that your boys won't like you that much, but you can still go hunting with them. Yeah. You know, and like me and my son are so close and we've had some amazing times. And I know he didn't always want to be on a jujitsu mat or he didn't always want to, you know, do certain things or be on a BMX bike. I was just going to say, that's why he has BMX, isn't Right. It? And even with BMX, there's times that he didn't want to go ride. There's times he was hurt. He's broken his ribs. He's He's gone through some stuff with these sports. And, you know, the girls have – my girls have scars all over their elbows, scars on their little hips from falling over and over again. They've paid for what they've earned, what they've gotten. And uh, – but I remember the last time I was wrestling with my son, we were rolling jujitsu. And he grabbed my wrist and it was so strong that the anxiety went right up into my throat because I was like, oh no. <laughs> he might win. <laughs> He's going to win. <laughs> He's going to win soon. This is going to happen. I haven't rolled with him in about a year and a half since he's been in LA, but he's been training out there at one of the Gracie schools the whole time. And that's one thing I'm like, dude, if you can't afford it, I don't care. Let me know. I'll pay it. I want you in that environment. 
and uh, and he's he's and you know he's he's now older. He's twenty two, um, but I'm still down to help, and and uh, that's something we've kept going. And uh, I would just be terrified to roll with him. <laughs> yeah, like just going to the gym and lifting weights with him. I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm a little I, tired. I read somewhere a quote that I loved that was, uh, "Your father is the only man in the world that wants you to do better than them." It's true. It's true. Yeah. Like, think about that. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird, it's, you know, coming back to like how you've been raised or whatever. So I have a, an amazing relationship with, with my dad and I, you know, but, but I also want to be better that, you know, like I, I want to like, right. It's learn your job. Things and, you know, it, uh, honor him in the sense that he gave me the skills and the perspective to improve on the life that we built. And then now pass that on to my kids. And then, you know, hopefully they're better than me. And, right. and like, he'll hear this and he'll, he'll, he'll be nodding it with approval that like, it's okay that I want to be a better version yep. of him than, and I want my kids to be a better version of me. And I just think it's, it's so cool and profound a little bit once you get there, you know, whether they're stronger or, right. or whatever, and then you get to start to learn from them. Oh yeah. He's like, I talk to my son all the time, like, especially when we're together and we have conversations, you know, and he'll say things and I'm like, wow. All right, thank you for yeah. that. Like, he's just sharp, right? And he's thoughtful. He's more thoughtful than I am, and he's actually kinder. Like, he's a tough kid, and it doesn't come across at all. He's just sweet and loving, and and he can be tough. And he'll let people know, and he'll let me know, you know, if if he has a problem or an issue. But man, he can be sweet, and uh, I think that just comes from the fact that he's so strong. That yeah, he feels. Well, and that's what's so interesting, though. So at one point, my father apologized to me, uh-huh. um, which if you know anything about, you know, masculinity and fathers, mm-hmm. that's a huge deal. Right. Um, and my response was like, for what? Like, what What are you talking about? There's nothing. Of course, we weren't perfect, but, you know, and I, and I, and I think it relates to your stories in the book and everything. It's like, I look back on my life and I love who I am. Right. Like, what do you mean you're sorry? I, I'm I'm so grateful for how I was raised, and for the good and the bad right. within it. You know, like, and I think that that's this interesting kind of conundrum that we're trying to unpack. Because you know, you look at the, you look at the the circumstances that created Robel Taylor, Chacho right. Taylor. Then you look at the circumstances that your kids are growing up in, and who you hope that they will right. be. And it's like you know, you kind of look back and. Is there a right or a wrong? I don't know, man. Nope. But it's like definitely grateful for it. And I think that the perspective to let your situations mold you in a positive way is what matters. Right. Not necessarily the situations. Right. And I just love that. I've learned that 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 has that's gonna gonna stick with me for a very long time after this conversation of that perspective that you've shared of, you know, hardships don't have to be the, you know, these intense extreme right. moments, like we can, they can be teachable moments and still create resiliency and, and all of these good characteristics that we hope our, you know, that we hope our kids have, right. but that you got in a different way, in a, in a, in a, you know, in and, a, in and an I had very way. productive ways also, you know, like my grandfather was a, was great in those productive ways. My grandmother was a, just watching my grandmother and that's, you know what? I think that's what, okay. You ask where it was her. The optimism? That's what did it. Mm. Because that woman, she, like I said, she supported everybody. Literally. 
not just, oh, I support you, but no, if somebody needed something, it was there. And she worked day and night. She didn't even have, she didn't even graduate from high school. She uh, was, a, was a, a female businesswoman that had never graduated from high school that started her restaurant without a penny. And she did this 40 years ago. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yep. And was successful. Her home today is worth over a million dollars that my grandfather lives in. Wow. And was worth a million dollars probably 20 years ago. Right. So, so this and that was her home that she bought. So this woman was extremely successful and it was hard work and creativity. And she put love into her work. Her food was amazing. The people she talked to, the way she talked to them, they loved her and she loved them. There was a lot of love in it. She was tough. She was even tough on her customers, but it was out of a, it was from a place of love. And you can tell it. Yeah. That's an interesting, I think that's an interesting trait that you have. I think it's a remarkable trait that you have actually that you've had, you know, like anybody in life, thousands of influences and you've been able, positive and negative. Right. And you've been able to say, I'm going to learn that from that person, that from that person, that from that person. Even if this person was the most toxic, negative, <laughs> most awful influence you could imagine, you learned a lot right. about what not to do or some things right. to do or whatever. You have somebody like your grandma in your life and you say, I'm going to learn you know, this and this and this. Right. That's unique. And that's, I think, something that is, is, is worth people being a little bit intentional about is like, there are influences in your life and there's going to be influences in your life no matter what. You can't escape it. Right. But you can control what you take from those influences. Right. That's an interesting one too. No, that's – it's actually – and that comes down to gratitude, right? Be grateful for what you can learn from any situation mm. and then you'll actually keep it. And I think that a lot of people make that issue. And so like the, my stories in my book are the beginning of a journey, and this journey will help people get to a place where they can start to be, have gratitude, develop some consistency, and be motivated to use those things to do something better for themselves. And that's my goal. That's 100% my goal in this. What I'm doing with my Instagram page and when I talk about things is I'm giving it to you very quickly when I'm saying, guys, be grateful today. Thank whatever you believe in, God, the universe, I don't care. I'm not here to define it for you. Thank, be thankful for what you've been blessed with because if not, you're going to miss it. And that's the problem. Yeah. Not that it's not there, it's just that you don't see it, right? And so I might be mad that my car broke, but guess what? I have legs. And I might be mad that I broke my leg, but guess what? I have a family member that can help me get somewhere. Or maybe I'm completely lonely, but I have the ability to go make a friend. No matter what it is, you always have something to be grateful for. So do it and pay attention to it because then the next time something comes around, that's going to be even more things to be grateful about and then more things and more things. Before you know it, you will realize you have an amazing life. I don't know if it takes hardship to learn that, to learn the difference between having and not having. It certainly helps. It does help. But I think earning also does yeah. that. And I think that's the, that's, that's the non-toxic way of <laughs> saying that I'm going to teach you how to earn something, right? And, uh, and so I think that's, I think we nailed it. 
If you teach them how to earn their happiness instead of giving it to them, they will appreciate it. And if they appreciate it, they will work for more. Mm. And they'll be grateful for it yep. because they earned it. Yep. I told my team this morning, we're, you know, we do our Monday morning all hands, and we did a little gratitude practice. I made everybody go around mm-hmm. the table and, and say something that they were grateful for. Um, and then I basically said, act, practice intentional gratitude because what you focus on is magnified. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose what you focus on. So choose accordingly. Yeah. So I do a crazy thing. This is a crazy thing. My friend Damien told me to do this. He said he did it. And so I said, okay. And so I have set alarms starting at 7.30 in the morning to 9.30 at night. Every hour. And when the alarm goes off, I say a prayer of gratitude and I mix it with a prayer of um, manifestation. So I will say, thank you, Lord, for my children being happy, my my life being great, everything that I have, my health, health for all the people I love, the million books I sold. That's the manifestation because I haven't sold a million books. But I just wait till this podcast drops. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I I implant it into my my gratitude, and then I have faith in it like it's already happened. Mm. And if I can do that, I believe I'll manifest something great. And uh, it's a challenge. Every hour, it's a challenge. And at first, I was like, "This is ridiculous." Yeah. And I started this before I left Denver. And. at first, I was like, oh, I'm not going to have time for this. And so I went through the whole thing. Went through the whole, I made it as long as I could, and I timed it. It took me less than a minute to say all that. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I look at Instagram four to five times an hour. Yeah, I've got eight minutes today. I can do this in less than, a yes, eight minutes today to show gratitude for my amazing life. And it has such a profound impact. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a challenge. I, it really has. I mean, it's come out in opportune times. It's caused some arguments between my girlfriend a little bit where I had to make some adjustments and learn that I'm co-inhabiting so I can't just have an alarm going off over and over again all the time. But I've made my adjustments. I'm still doing it. And uh, I, I love it. It made me happier. And it also gets me for breaking myself down. Because literally... Instead of every hour of me being thankful, every hour I'll be figuring out why what I'm doing is not important and nobody cares. Yeah. And I'll beat myself down that way. So if instead I intentionally go the other direction, I'm not going this one. So that's something that's worked for, I mean, I don't know if it's worked. Nothing's changed except for the fact that I'm doing it. Well, how do you feel? Every time I do it, I feel great. Well, then it works. Yeah. It's an, I'm, I, I struggle. I'm incredibly driven. Um, which I, nine, I see it nine times out of 10 is a good thing. Um, but there, are, I do have a tendency to look too far ahead uh-huh. and be like, man, you know, why don't I have that? What, how is they, how are they on that? And right. I'm not, or how do I, you know, I, I need the bigger house or I need the, you know, the, the, I need walls in my office or I need the bigger clients or, you know, (laughs) darn. Yeah. I had to send everybody home so we could podcast. No, but, (laughs) um, 
I think that, you know, that, that practice of intentional gratitude is so, so important because in fact, so I get served Facebook memories yeah. and, uh, my wife, who's probably one of like the four people that'll listen to the entirety of the show, but, yeah. uh, I got served a Facebook memory yesterday. And how grateful should you be for that? Oh, you know how many wives will not? Yes. No, talk about marrying up. There's a yeah. whole episode on that. <laughs> um, but she, she shared to my wall like nine years ago a quote that was basically like, you're not where you want to be, but you're also not where you used to be. Boom. And don't forget that, how far you've come. That you know you have a long lot further to go, but don't forget how far you've come. And... It's cool for me to see those. I love Facebook memories, by the way, because yeah. it does let you see how far you've come. It's a good. It's point. also cool to see how little you've changed in the good ways. Right. Like to nine years ago, be like, man, I I was driven, and I was feeling the same emotions I feel sometimes today. Right. Of like, where am I headed, or why am I not there yet, or whatever. But I just love that that idea of being grateful for where you're at and actively practicing it, and even going so far as to scheduling it in. Yep. Because it does make that big of a difference. And I've noticed that when I focus on gratitude, like, you know, I have a small house, but a nice one. Or I've got, you know, right. whatever. It's like, uh, it's so powerful because it changes your perception on your reality. And when you have that attitude of gratitude, you then are capable of so much more and magnifying Absolutely. it. It's not like the momentum we talked about with your stories. Yep. You know, you get a little bit, harness that and unleash it and... and you know, the sky's kind of the limit. And it's interesting because gratitude has been a recurring theme through my conversations on this show that high performers actively practice, right. especially when they don't, when from an outsider looking in, you think, man, what in the, like, th that was brutal. How in the world could they have gratitude? But they find it, they find it th something to be grateful for. And I've seen that in every one of your stories and, and in your day-to-day -day life too. It's interesting. Like, so the most successful person I know is my brother, which is really cool. And uh, I mean, I don't know how many nightclubs he owns at this point, and he's opening more and, and partnerships and things that he has going. And I go to his house, and outside of the house, you know, there's an amazing, only 200 were made G-Wagon. He has the new Raptor R. He has... Uh, a Ferrari, he has a Lamborghini, uh, and, and that's just the four cars. And then you go into this house, and it, you just, it's amazing. And it's just one, and, it's, and he created this from nothing. He created this. Over 500 employees, I think, and he takes care of them. Like, it's, a, it's, it's amazing what he's created. But he is, he doesn't miss a detail, and he's so excited about everything He's present in it all. Yeah, like I mean, he'll go through and talk to you about the details and the things. And I think that that's why those businesses are so successful because he's also so present in the details. Mm. I literally saw him once. They ordered a Ace of Spade bottle to a table that we were all sitting at. It's an expensive bottle, probably I don't know. It's over a thousand bucks, right? Hits the table. They offered him a drink. He takes a sip of it, stops, calls someone over, says something to them, they walk off. They come back with a thermometer in their hand. He looks at it and he says, take that back. The refrigerator was like three degrees too warm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Right? And at the same time, he's running nine other clubs from his cell phone. Right. And everything else and catches that detail. One time I went there to eat 
We all hung out, and I quickly paid my bill. I left. He didn't see it happen. Three o'clock in the morning, I get a text message. You paid your bill? And the money hits my account. So out of all the clubs, he's three in the morning. And there had to been thousands of transactions. Yes. Uh, yes. It's crazy. I mean, those places are packed. So it's the attention to those details. But he's also appreciative of the things like that. And he's hard also. I mean, he's hard. But when I look at that, I'm like, man, this is why he earned this. Yeah. This is why he earned this. And then he had lunch with Post Malone and he's like, yeah, well, dude, I, sorry, man. I got lunch with Post Malone and then I, I'll just, we'll be, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're having lunch with Post Malone? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to let you not realize how awesome that is. Right. Like, I want you to get it. That's awesome. And he's like, you know what? You're right. I think it is. Right. So it's just kind of funny that, that, uh, that thing He's like, ah, it's part of business. But the little things are huge. Yeah. You know, but I think it's that attention to detail that makes excellence. And attention of, everyone can have an amazing life if they really pay attention to the great things in their life. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's part of that optimism. I love it. Yeah. Robel, thank you so much. Yeah, thank I, you. I got to tell you, in case especially the audio, you know, at the beginning didn't yeah. work out, I'm going to reiterate it. You have made a tremendous impact on my life, and I'm so grateful to know you. And I just want you to know that you inspire me. You inspire many people, and people are listening. Oh, thank you. So keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing um, because you're making an impact. You're making the world a better place, and the world needs more people like you. So before we wrap, um, I got you an Inspire by Example shirt. Sick. Because you inspire me by living the life that you're living and by leading by example. And I hope you know, I hope you hear how sincere I am. No, absolutely. What you're doing matters, and don't stop. I, I appreciate you for doing it. Thank you so much. And this is awesome. I appreciate it. Guys. As soon as you can get this shirt, get one. It's sick. <laughs> Here's the other thing. Um, I need a new goal. Last time Ben gave me a goal to go run a 10K. Oh, yes. And I worked my butt off and I got to it and I've been on coast ever since. I hurt my ankle, hurt my knee. Those are fixed. I have no more excuses. I've got a new one for you. You ready? Okay, yeah. We're going to put it on this right and, now. And the next time we talk, yeah. you will have done the goal. Okay. What's the goal? You're oh. going you're gonna to successfully Murph. All right. You got it. The whole thing by the myself. No partner Murph. Nope. You're going to Murph. I'm going to Murph. Okay. So anyone listening, and this is the accountability goal. Yeah. Ready? You have to run one mile. Okay. Do uh, 100 pull-ups. Okay. 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, and then run one more mile. Okay. And you could twi- switch do, the order. Do I have a time want. limit? Nope. Two days, three days? <laughs> In one session. <laughs> In one. You, you probably can do it. You practice. You yeah. probably can do it in 90 minutes. Awesome. So, yeah, and this is, guys, Ben is also an inspiration. And, dude, I watch your Instagram. I watch you out there running three in the morning. I'm like, this guy gets up at two in the morning to run at three in the morning to, to go to work, by the way. <laughs> that is amazing. I don't know who put in your head that that's possible, but you make it possible. So if you hit any of your life the same way you're doing that, and I know you do, it's a, it's a great life, and it's something to learn from. I'm going to plug the book real quick. Uh, the series is called My Dyslexic Life. Title 
is hit hard on Amazon. Uh, author we have is Chacho Taylor. That's my nickname. My grandfather gave me that name literally about seven minutes after I was born. Robel Taylor is my business name, and that's uh, what that's why I always call you Robel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but eventually it turns to Chacho anyway. So, guys, if you think this is interesting, if you're looking for a little motivation, check it out, and then please let me know. Go to my Instagram, Chacho Taylor, and let me know what you think. And uh, that's it, man. Buy the book; it's amazing. <laughs> Buy the book; yes. it's amazing. I'm yes. serious, <laughs> yeah. Robel Chacho. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. All right, man. Thank you. Glad to know you. Nice.